welcome to Return to Russia, where we speak again the ancient oaths by going through Brandon Sanderson's Stormlight books and put everything into a wider Cosmere context. So, a spoiler warning is in effect for every Cosmere book published at the time of recording, and that means up to Rhythm of Wolf for now. My name is Anna, and today I'm joined by my friends Cody and Morden, and we're continuing Kaladin's backstory in The Way of Kings by reading chapters 16 and 20, Cocoons and Scarlet, respectively. Have fun! So, for chapter 16, we're going to be looking at some interactions between Kaladin and Laurel, and Kaladin totally being oblivious to feminine charms, and then getting in a tussle with some boys and finding a very key character quality of Kaladin he'll discover within himself. Thank you, Cody. Martin, do you want to read us in? The origin is out there, she said, pointing. This is the Stormlands. Father says we're here to be a windbreak for more timid lands to the west. She turned to him. We've got a noble heritage, Cal. Dark eyes and light eyes alike. That's why the best warriors have always been from Elithkar. High Prince Sadius, General Amaram, King Gavilar himself. I suppose... She sighed exaggeratedly. I hate talking to you when you're like this, you know? Like what? Like you are now. You know? Moping around. Sighing. Oh, Kaladin. Already so depressed. Poor boy. It... He's starting puberty here, right? So he catches feelings and he catches that feeling. As the chapter tells us, he was told about what he's going through, but it was in a surgical sense. <laughs> yeah, that was the sentence I said I wanted to read out because I thought it was funny. Go right ahead. <laughs> His father had explained the process of growing with the precision of a surgeon. But there was so much feeling involved, emotions, that his father's sterile descriptions hadn't explained. I think we can all relate to that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so many feelings. Painful. The Kaladin just spending time with his friends, doesn't realize that she's flirting with him. She's definitely flirting with him, but does she also flirt with the other boys? Because... Oh, absolutely. She gets into this, like he says, annoying laughter. I think it's only annoying because she laughs at other boys and not at him oh absolutely and i think in this case it's not just like pure innocent flirting because at the end of this chapter her father is dead and i think she's very aware of very soon she's gonna have to fend for herself and she's picked kaladin to be her guy and that's part of the conflict and this is he's deciding he wants you know he's just going to be a surgeon and she's like no you're supposed to go off you know win a shard blade and become a light-eyed so we can get married and be the lords of this town you know you're ruining the plan i have for my life and so she's really trying to goad him to be like come on come on do your part you know it's not just like oh he's a cute boy but i think there's on her part a lot more intentionality to it Exactly. It doesn't help that his family's the second highest ranking Dark Eyes as possible in that town to begin with. Yeah, it's like, from her perspective, he's the only possible bachelor, or she's going to get married off to some random dude in another. So she could marry him without him becoming a Light Eyes, right? Oh, absolutely. But it would be a big step down for her. Like, they probably wouldn't continue to be the lord of yeah. 
unfortunately. We have a lot of interesting musings about light eyes and a lot of descriptions of light eyes and Kaladin's attitude towards them, which we know changes a lot in the seven years. Oh yeah, he was already a little bit skeptical of them to begin with. It's just that you had the ones that he knew, and then you have the ones that are in the stories. King Gavilar, Amaram, Sadius. Amaram and Sadius, these <laughs> glorious human beings. Don't we all love them? The pinnacles of mm. humanity. <laughs> yeah, Gavilar, who at this point in the book we think is an upstanding guy. I mean, we could possibly find out he's a nice person next book. <laughs> sure. So at the beginning of the chapter, we do get the information. This is about two and a half years after chapter 10. So he's had two and a half years where he's been pondering on this. I'm going to be a surgeon and has kind of set aside his soldiering dreams, but he hasn't told anyone until now. Yeah, basically, he's realized, especially throughout this chapter, he wants to be able to fight, but he also kind of does want to do what his father wants him to do. Yeah, and he wants to make a difference. And I think it's interesting that he thinks that he can make more of a difference by being a soldier, which is basically like a cog in the machine, versus being a surgeon, which is one of a kind, at least in the world that he is in, but also in the world itself, right? I mean, there are not that many surgeons. From my perspective, I'd say they make a much bigger difference than a soldier would. And I'm interested in why he sees it the other way. It's partially because of the Vorn religion and how they have the soldiers as the top of the food chain, basically. They're the ones who get to go to the Tranquilin Halls. They get to fight for, try and get the Tranquilin Halls back from the Voidringers. And then you've got the farmers after that. They don't really honestly mention surgeons or doctors in that at all. But I mean, I think you also get to there's a bit of the perspective of, you know, the grass is greener. He's aware surgeons can make an impact, but, you know, he sees it every day. That's the life he lives. It's nothing special per se, you know, and he sees, okay, yes, I can make an impact, but my impact is limited to my town, like this group of people where the perspective of it could have much broader implications not just in his town or even in Kolinar, but he could change the world by he talks about going to war with Thalena again and finally putting you know putting them in their place you know he could go change that country as a soldier whereas a yeah. surgeon he's just helping people with broken <laughs> arms and stuff in his hometown <laughs> yes but realistically as a trained surgeon he could even make a bigger difference to the war effort but well, he doesn't see it that way. Another point with Kaladin also, I think, leaning toward the soldier role and it having more potential influence or whatever is he, you know, we talked about this some in chapter 10, is he very much struggles with being the outsider. And so by being a surgeon, he will perpetually be the outsider and be looked down upon or looked weird at by people. They won't understand them. He won't fit in. And he very much craves fitting in. So by being a soldier, that's like the epitome of being one of the guys. You know, you're part of, you know, your group, your unit, your army. Yeah. It's it's camaraderie. He would be fitting in and having a group of people. And so I think that's also a huge draw for him. That's a fair point. I think he doesn't think about the difference of belonging and being one of the boys and making a difference. I remember in a later chapter where he wants to fit in, but then is asked, but do you want to fit in with these people who talk terribly, especially about our family? It's basically, 
I want to fit in, but I also don't want to be the same. It's, again, it's a lot of the weirdness of being a teenager at that point, especially. You don't know where you fit in. You don't want to fit in, but you want to at the same time. <laughs> it's just, I think it speaks more to my personal attitude towards being a soldier or being like a doctor. But I remember reading this that I thought, why don't you want to go to Carbronth and become a surgeon? That sounds like an awesome deal. It sounds like the best possible way for you. And I was a bit frustrated with him for instead wanting to beat people up with a stick. <laughs> What Do you remember how you felt about that? Oh, absolutely. I was like, I see both sides of the conflict there. But at the same time, it's like, as a surgeon, you can see he has real talent for it. And the issue for him, especially with both sides of this coin is he can't stop caring about people regardless, which is what kills him a lot later on when it comes to trying to save people. My first time through when I'd hit this point, I, I assumed that, you know, he does end up going to Carbronth and either on the way or after a period of time of being in Carbronth, that's when he bails on surgeon and goes soldier. But as we learn that is not the way it happens. No. I think I assumed that too, but I think it was simply because I thought it would be so much more logical to do it. Coincides with me with my thinking about his father, because for the longest time, I always thought his father was correct and didn't understand why Kai was so frustrated with him. And yeah, that changed later on. <laughs> and in this chapter, we see the famous, oh, he left you all the spheres. And I bought that. I just believed that. I never doubted that for a second. And when we found out later that he totally lies here, that he absolutely did steal those spheres, that retroactively changed a lot of my opinion of uh, Liren and how this whole Kaladin's going to be a master surgeon thing that seemed so logical to me when I first read it. It didn't work out and it, it wasn't supposed to work out in the end. Not the way I thought it would. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? It's based on a lie. <laughs> well, I understand Liren's point of view on doing what he did. Especially with Wistio's, yeah. you know, health not being the best. He wasn't completely there. Yes, but I don't think we ever get the idea that Wistio at any point considered doing this, right? He, w I'm sure that he talked to Liren about, yeah, it would be great if Kaladin could train, but I think he never said he'd fund this thing by all the money, by giving all the money that he had. <laughs> exactly. I doubt it. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to say exact because, I mean, it definitely seems to be implied that there was at least that Liren was trying very hard to set Kaladin up with Laurel and they were friends. And so and, you know, he did have the spheres on loan. You know, yeah, they probably there might have been talk of, okay, yeah, you can keep those for the surgery, but whether or not it was okay, then those can also then pay for Kaladin's schooling. Yeah, that's the weird thing about this world having money that has also a practical use in day-to-day -day life that has nothing to do with its monetary exchange value. Many, many uses for it. And that's so you can loan people money without giving them money, just like hold on to it and <laughs> use it while you have it. But not in the way that you would do it in our world where you like hold on to it and use it would mean like earning interest or, or yeah. investing or whatever. That's not it. It's just the fact of the physical presence of the money helps you do your job better. It's very, very confusing, at least to me. I think you also like with his dad, you know, obviously there is some level of self-justification. But I do also believe that partly Liren did this because he did truly believe that he could have convinced Wistiel of it. I don't think he thought there was no chance he could ever do it. I think, oh yeah, you know, because I'm sure when he went up there and realized what it was, he's like, you know, if he was trying to convince him, but he just wasn't mentally there. But it's like, he's like, I'm sure in his mind, he's like, well, 
if he would have been here, I could have convinced him of this. You know, we, we could have agreed to this. Absolutely. If you'd had more time to talk to him and get everything together, it probably could have happened because they were friends. It wasn't a matter of, you know, just being one of the people that Wistio had to serve as the local light eyes he also was his friend he talked to him and you don't just let your daughter hang out with just anybody if you're in that position either but yeah there's just a lot to unpack in just this one chapter because after that because we have oh we can talk about tn oh yeah <laughs> i think those are the big three things in this chapter Kaladin's attitude towards light eyes his attitude towards being a soldier or surgeon and then the TN stuff. Do we have anything else to say about his fighting with the quarter stuff or wanting to get trained? I think that's all pretty straightforward, right? He likes it. He's bad at it, but he really likes it. Except he was far better than he should have been for someone who just picked it up as well. That's true. Laurel is kind of goading him and I think kind of hoping, you know, oh, see, being boys with sticks is fun. You should be a soldier. It's good that you mentioned before that she's in a pretty bad place at this point, that she's traumatized, that she's probably scared for her future because I was pretty critical of her reading this again. But this puts it into perspective that she has this good reason to goading him. Oh, yeah, because she may not have known her father had passed, but at the very least, he was not doing well beforehand. You know, she makes a comment here when he said, you know, about winning a shard blade and becoming a light eyes and... She's like, I really believe you can. And I think she does have, like, it's not just like talking him up. I think she really does have some faith in him that he could actually do this, that she sees that there's something different about him even before he picks up this stick. I get the feeling that she picked him out of all the boys she knows. And that's not because he's the highest nun. I think she definitely sees something in him and she really likes him. I think the scenes later when he comes back and she's married are heartbreaking. She's just such a realist yeah. in her place in the world. She reminds me of a Jane Austen character. <laughs> She accepted what she had to do, basically. Mm -hmm. And it's sad, but I mean, she grew to accept what she had to do and ended up much later on becoming basically the city lord herself. Yeah, and when she sees him again later, I think she sees him and thinks, wow, I mean, he's cool and he's great and stuff, but do I want this, for lack of a better word, drama? <laughs> he hasn't grown up quite that much yet. There's still a wet blanket. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and her marrying the older guy who's maybe not like such a dreamboat, but... She knows what she's going to ex expect and can make her place in the world and is, I think, content with it. But it's yeah, a bit sad. She at least has proven over the years that she's very, very competent with what she can do. But they would have been an awful match. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> like the worst. do want to read a little section here because I think it's a great bit of foreshadowing metaphor for not only Kaladin, but most of the people he interacts with and kind of his view on things. He poured some water on his hand from his own canteen and flung it at the brown snarl brush. Wherever sprayed, droplets fell. The brush grew instantly green, as if he were throwing paint. The bush was not dead. It was just dried out, waiting for the storms to come. Cal watched the patches of green slowly fade back to tan as the water was absorbed. You see that with Caledon, he has his moments where he, you know, feels emotionally dead. And at this point in his life, Tien comes and is that splash of water that brings the life again. And when he Builds back Bridge 4. He's got men that are about as seemingly dead as they can be, dead men walking, and he, he is able to bring them back and bring life into them and show that they were something again and that they're not dead. And this leads into, you know, Tiana's has cheered him up with this rock, and Laurel's kind of annoyed, I think a bit jealous. She's like, you know, why are you so cheery? She's like, <laughs> I don't know, I just feel better. She's like, how does he do it? And he's like, 
Like, how, how does Tien always manage to make you happy? All he did was give you a rock. If I gave you a rock, that wouldn't have worked. <laughs> no, it would not. So let's talk about Tien. But we have Tien here, in case people haven't realized it. He was the surge binder that was killed in Amaram's army. He was a budding lightweaver. Budding lightweaver. At which stage do you think he is at this point? I'd say still trying to find his way to the first ideal. Is there a cryptic running around these rocks? Oh, absolutely. I'm sure he, there's a cryptic running around. One or many do they like do their party? I actually would think they would probably be several, especially since around that time, I'm pretty sure they'd already lost Testament, so... Well, that's a good question. I'm not sure how it works out with the timeline, but if there is a cryptic around him and we see that his kind of like passion is finding interesting pattern hidden in rocks do we think at this point pattern is potentially around him or investigating him and then upon his death then it, that's when they're like okay we'll go back to shalon now <laughs> you mean Pattern. Pattern as pattern. Interesting. It's possibility, but at the same time, it's hard to distinguish them at first, to be sure. That would mean that Pattern knew Kaladin when they met. Well, I mean, theoretically, yes, he would know, but eventually he'd have to unlock that memory at some point. Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. We don't know how self-aware the cryptics are before the first oath is spoken. Yeah. If we think about Syl, she's basically Windspren. Before yeah. they bond, she wouldn't notice anybody around her. Yeah, I'm remembering Pattern when he first was brought forth into the physical realm, I guess is the word I want to say, where he was just kind of running into walls and things like that. So he was definitely not all that aware when he first came through. But if they were watching him from the other side, it's definitely a question of whether or not he was around Tien as well. So we know that Tien later bonds a cryptic. Correct, but he hasn't done it yet. He was in the process of bonding it. He, I don't think he had said the first ideal before he was killed, though. The copper mine says he swore at least the first oath before he was killed. Okay. So then it probably wouldn't be pattern. We'd have to look at that again. Yeah, he didn't really have much in the way of stormlight on him at that point, did he? I'd say no pattern. Maybe as one in the group, but... And we don't know how it works for each order, and you know, Kaladin is also unique in a lot of ways, but we know Syl was hanging around him for... Mm -hmm. in some capacity for a long time. Do you guys think we'll meet Tien's cryptic later? That would be an interesting thing because of what happened at near the end of Rhythm of War. Mm -hmm. it'd, be, it'd be another nice bit of closure for Kaladin to mm -hmm. come across his cryptic. Do you think we have met him or her? Them? <laughs> I would think if we have, it would be one that's not bound to like one of the current light weavers. So it'd be if we've met one in like Shadesmar that is unbounded. I just, with the characters that we have as light weavers, I don't see like it making much sense to have a significant story beat that they're like, oh, hey, my cryptic was bonded to your brother. Where if it's, you know, if it's kind of like a moment of tension between Honor Spren and cryptics and Kaladin has to go to Shadesmar to help, you know, try to negotiate something and then he meets the cryptic that was bound to his brother and that allows some kind of conversation to happen or something. Like, I feel like that would make a little bit more sense story-wise. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if at, at some point just a regular conversation between a random Lightweaver and their cryptic would just contain a little, like, tidbit that we as the reader realize, oh, Oh, that was Tien's and it never does anything to the story. It's I could imagine that happening for <laughs> us to Oh. Now if we want to just add to the whole cluster of the Shalon Kaladin drama, then you know going back to it being pattern would be kind of funny just because it's like, okay, well you killed my brother 
and took his shard plate. But then your cryptic was bond to my brother that died. <laughs> oh, if Pattern had even considered bonding Tien or did, I don't think that that's the case. But if it did, it would put all the nobody had made him smile like Tien until Shalan into so much perspective. Because at that point, maybe it's not Tien and it's not Shalan. It's just the cryptic. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's the case again, but it would be. Yeah. Okay. So we decided on there was probably one or more cryptics around, but we don't know. who. So let's talk about the rocks. Tien seemingly regularly gives rocks to Kaladin that he finds. And while Kaladin thinks it doesn't make any sense, it still works on him that his mood lifts up. Yeah. I have a line here that I was wanting to read for that. Please. Kaladin. A voice asked from behind him. He turned to find Tien. Kaladin, he said, eyes wide, hands cupped together. What are you looking at? Dead weeds, Cal said. Oh, well, you need to see this. What is it? Tien opened his hand to reveal a small stone, weathered on all sides, but with a jagged break on the bottom. Cal picked it up, looking it over. He couldn't see anything distinctive about it at all. In fact, it was dull. It's just a rock, Cal said. Not just a rock, Tien said, taking out his canteen. He wetted his thumb, then rubbed it on the flat side of the stone. The wetness darkened the stone and made visible an array of white patterns in the rock. See? Tien asked, handing it back. The strata of the rock alternated white, brown, black. The pattern was remarkable. Of course, it was just still a rock. For some reason, Cal found himself smiling. That's nice, Tien. It is nice. It is very nice. He's the cutest. Yeah, we think that Tien sees this rock quite differently than Kaladin does, right? Oh, yeah. Part of it is being a proto-lightweaver. Mm -hmm. He has the mnemonic abilities that they have, mm -hmm. so he can experience color and light differently. But also, as we've seen with a lot of our surge binders to begin with, they all have ways of seeing the world that's a bit different than a lot of other people as well. We have Kaladin, who's PTSD, as well as very much as seasonal uh, depression. At this point, he seems more like an emo kid to me, to be honest. What are you looking at? Dead weight. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Get your eyeliner, stare into the distance. Very true. <laughs> so let's do more speculating. How would happy-go-lucky, everything is sunshine in my world, Tien have... How did he react? when these scary cryptics showed up. Did he just love them? <laughs> I mean, it might depend on how he was observing them, you know, because Shalon saw them essentially through her subconscious and that then she would then draw out. Mm -hmm. Elhokar saw them in the mirrors. <gasps> Which is the worst. <laughs> so... You know, if he saw them in rocks, in rock patterns, which seems totally up his alley, then it's not that scary. Yeah, so maybe they should think about how they approach people. Because one of these is not like the others, and is a bit better. Oh, yeah. I mean, the mirror thing, we can all agree, is like the worst way to approach someone. That's a good idea that they, Tien just loved looking at patterns in the natural world, and that's how they came to him, and so he wasn't that scared, possibly? I don't know. Do you think cryptics were attracted to Gaz because his massive amounts of debt meant lots of math to balance those ledgers, or was it his personality? <laughs> <laughs> also so many lies, probably. 
Mmm. So with the rocks, here at the end of the chapter, we see yes. Cal ends up kind of left alone after talking to his dad, and he kind of just goes outside and is contemplating what his life means now, because, you know, here he's just had this moment of, he's found that spark with the staff, but also now knows his fate is kind of sealed to go to Carbronth because of, from his perspective at this point, Wistiel's dying wishes for him to go do this. So he's like, well, I have no choice but to go fulfill this dead man's dying wish. So he's sitting there um, with his rocks and, you know, Tien had just given him a new one. So the first one he had been given showed the white swirls and strata. It appeared the other one had a hidden design too. It looked like a face, smiling at him, made of white bits in the rock. Cal smiled despite himself, though it quickly faded. A rock wasn't going to solve his problems. Until in about five years from now, when rock solves all of your problems. <laughs> At least a good portion of them when it evolves stew. Yes, or horned or white. Chapter 20 is called Scarlet. This is about two months after chapter 16 here. So it's a quick look in at Kaladin's life since Wistiel has passed away and he is taking one of his first major forays into medicine here as he attempts to save the life of a five-year-old girl who fell out of a tree and royally messed up her leg. Yeah, it's pretty easy to really get messed up when you're not falling onto dirt, you're falling onto stone. It's not like that Roshar, it seems like it's just... Stone. It's like, it's always like jagged stones with jagged polyps and jagged lumps and like everything. It's just not smooth. <laughs> so many crabs everywhere. But he, it's just like he, with his chapter, Kaladin put all of his training to work and unfortunately just... Everything is horrible. Didn't have everything he needed or didn't have the time, I guess, is really what was the big issue. His timing was off enough. And at the end of it, he gets praised by his father for doing so well. But the Kaladin we begin to know and love later on, who can't accept that not everybody can be saved. Yeah, we also see his tendency to freeze. We saw that last chapter during the fight. We see it now. It's his go-to response to, to stress. Yeah. Yeah. This whole chapter is basically about him thinking what you need to do to get through like hard moments and him and his father not agreeing on how to do this. And here he, at least internally, asked the question back and is this a good thing? I don't think he has an answer yet, does he? We see that we're at a certain point in Rhythm of War where. He asks him if he's grown his calluses. It hurts him to have to choose when to care, because for people like him, it hurts to not care, especially when you feel like you could have done something. If you had just been a little bit faster, if you had just, you know, used what you had better, it's tough. It's not an easy thing to overcome because you can't just see people hurting and expect it to just not be able to do something for it. Yes, but this is so much foreshadowing. I mean, he, he tells himself, you have to learn when to care and when to let go. Congratulations. That's like oaths two to four. Letting go is definitely the fourth one. Right. And how long did we have to wait until he got there? I mean, everybody knew what it was forever. I mean, almost to the bottom of the tower is how long we had to wait. <laughs> yeah. And he already knows at this point that he has to go there. Very hard for him. Absolutely. It's Kalanen is somebody who wants to rescue everybody, regardless of whether or not it's 
feasible or not. And I think this interaction and how he feels afterwards is kind of a defining moment in six months from now when he makes the decision to enlist alongside Tien where he, you know, he's like, no, I just don't like this, you know, the the idea of the surgeon life and kind of feeling forced into it at this point. And I think this is a moment where he's like, I'm always just going to be miserable. I'm going to go protect my brother and have that thrill of the spear. And and not everybody in this town hating me. Which was only his father at that point. <laughs> because I think that's also a big thing that he fails here in his eyes. He doesn't really fail, not in his father's eyes, not in the eyes of anyone who knows anything about medicine or whatever. But he fails in his eyes and also in the eyes of the entire town. With how awful they were being to him when he was trying to help her out to begin with. I don't want to imagine what the time just after this is for him. And the thing is, is that he don't have the magical healing that we do later on or much, much earlier in that world's history. Exactly. They're making do with what they have available because they don't have that option. And surgery is not an exact science. Occasionally, things do happen. It's fascinating how close what we see of this kind of surgery sounds to like our modern ideas of medicine, right? With, of course, different advancement, but they have all the ideas that we have. Yeah, and later on we start getting vaccinations coming up. <laughs> About hygiene and... It's like, this is very advanced for a place that's also stuck in a very medieval-type mindset. Mm -hmm. Where you've got slaves, you've got serfs, you've got all that. Exactly. We have knights on horses in armor, plate armor, riding around. And then they don't just put leeches on you or bleed you. <laughs> I don't think they have an equivalent of leeches there yet. Interesting. I mean, sometimes they know better and they still bleed you until you die. But they do it on purpose, so that's another story. Yeah. Same place they came with the vaccinations, so. I mean, maybe in the Pure Lakes, they, they might not put leeches on you, but they'll definitely let a fish suck on you. Yeah, and like eat the skin off your feet <laughs> as a pedicure. I mean, it is a magical fish, so you have that going for you. Anything else we have to say about this very, very short chapter? You get to see a lot of Kaladin's development here, how he starts developing as a person, where he wants to be that person who can grow calluses, but at the same time, it's like, that doesn't seem right for him. So can we find the fifth oath in this? <laughs> yeah, he definitely foreshadows all his oaths in one stray thought. I'm just curious if we actually see the signs of the fifth oath in this chapter as well, since we see hints of the others as well. Maybe it's about the calluses, about being able to decide when something touches you and when it doesn't touch you. I don't know how that would be worded, but maybe it's in that vein. I think it would be something like, I will protect myself. I would really like that oath. You look at what we have so far, it's like you have, I will protect others. You know, the last step, I feel like, is I will protect myself. Yeah, and that would be the thing about the calluses, right? About, yes, and also does not throw away his strength needlessly by letting everything get to his core. Who knows? Maybe in five years we go back to this chapter and say, ooh, so obvious. Or it could be something a little more unique, because, you know, like, I feel like so far, like, the Windrunners, at least, their O's have been very, like regimental it's like you know it's like there's slight variations but it's pretty much like an order where you know like light weavers are lies and it's it's very so it could even be something like in the case of kaladin it's like i can protect others 
through medicine or, you know, like it's not just, I, I can protect in ways other than the spear. Like, you know, as he's developing his passion for psychiatry, other soldiers mm. with PTSD and yeah, help. It's like that I can protect apart from battle. My fight can be healing. Yeah. So it could be, you know, something very specific to like what he will do from this point on. It's very personal where the other four are kind of mm -hmm. order, like very regimented. In five years, we come back to this and say it's so obvious about the fifth oath, correct? Martin, do you want to do a readout for us? I failed, Kaladin whispered. His clothing was stained red. Before he'd washed the blood free of his hands, it had been scarlet. But soaked into his clothing, it was duller reddish-brown. I've known men who've practiced for hours and hours, yet still froze when confronted by a wounded person. It's harder when it takes you by surprise. You didn't freeze. You went to her, administered help, and you did it well. I don't want to be a surgeon, Cal said. I'm terrible at it. Lear inside, rounding the steps, sitting down beside his son. Cal, this happens. It's unfortunate, but you couldn't have done more. That little body lost blood too quickly. Cal didn't reply. You have to learn when to care, son, Liren said softly. And when to let go. You'll see. I had similar problems when I was younger. You'll grow calluses. And this is a good thing? Cal thought. Another tear trickling down his cheek. You have to learn when to care. And when to let go. In the distance, Arl continued to wail. Thank you for that. And thank you everyone for joining us today. I'm Anna. I was joined by Morden and Cody today. And next time we'll continue on with Kaladin's backstory. And remember, journey before destination. We hope you return to Russia with us again next time. <laughs>